Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. On episode 52 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we start off the episode by talking with the latest transfer link of Thomas Suchek, talk about West Ham's awful loss to West Brom in the FA Cup, fly past a preview of Liverpool, and focus on the more important match of Brighton on the weekend. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode 52 with myself and Lewis. Lou, how's uh, how's it going over there in England? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, we're, we're, we're not doing too bad at the minute. We're, we've escaped the coronavirus so far. So ah, Knock on wood. I mean, I live... I live right right by the airport in Toronto, and there's cases coming out of there now. So let's hope everyone's just you know safe and sound, and let's hope we get a, a hold on this. Um, to maybe coincide with that, uh, West Ham are currently uh, not performing to the top of their abilities. Uh, this is coming off of, I believe, two losses, one league and one uh, FA Cup loss since we've last chatted. Uh, the last episode was on January 14th, so uh, we are back and we are uh, ready to talk about the upcoming matches uh, for the Hammers. But first, we should give our thoughts on... The latest news. It's not quite confirmed yet, but uh, David Moyes was commenting on the medical of Thomas. Uh, let me just Thomas Suchek, I believe his name is Thomas Suchek, uh, the central midfielder, box to box defensive midfielder from Slavia Prague. Uh, he was uh, playing Champions League matches. He scores quite a few goals. Initially, uh, Lou, I want to I want to get your your opinion here. Did you know anything about this player before the links came up? No, I would be lying if I said I did. But uh, it's just the thought of signing a player that's kind of exciting, isn't? It? Yeah, that's we just we need bodies in at the moment. Uh, I think that was you know we'll get to the West Brom game in a second here, but that's the main point of the January transfer window: get your reinforcements in if you need to, uh, and we desperately do. I'm the same as you. I had maybe heard the name or seen it through either Football Manager or FIFA, so maybe there's some subconscious there. Um, and as well, I know it's not the most reliable, but transfer market uh, had his value at, I believe, 10 million euros. And West Ham are believed to be paying upward, uh, up to 20 million euros on a loan with a with a view to buy. Um, and X was breaking down the, the financials of the deal. And it looks like the majority of that will be paid up front to uh, Slavia Prague, making it the biggest deal in the league's history. And then if the club go down, he is likely to not stay with the club. So um, he, he would be sold. West Ham would probably pursue the rest of the loan, buy him out and sell him, and hopefully make some money or, or get their money back, which would probably be baseline for them um, because he, he's probably too good to be in a relegation battle. Or he's too, he's too good to be, sorry, on the losing end of a relegation battle. There's been a lot of tension around the board's spending and whatnot, and, and of course, this has been years in the making. It's just coming to a head right now. But um, forking out some substantial money 
on a, a position of need seems like a step in the right direction, doesn't it? It does, yeah, but it just feels like it could be too little too late. I mean, I think before this, our last like kind of substantial fee on a centre midfielder was Pedro Arbiang, and that was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and since then, we've just done it on the cheap with freebies such as Jack Wilshire, Sanchez, you know, etc. And you know, to do it in the January of a season where we fear the face of potential relegation just seems a bit, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the term, just a little bit, you know, we're messing around a bit in terms of, and we're like, in t- just in terms of position in the league and pressure from the fans and they're doing it to I'm, I can't even th- think of the phrase I'm trying to say like but, they're trying to appease the fans I think was one of the reports yeah in a way but why didn't we get this done during the summer when it was clear for all to see that we needed an extra midfielder and in, in the squad we Obviously, had Declan. We have Noble. We had Wilshire, who looked good in preseason. To mm-hmm. be fair, but was always, you know, a potential one injury away from being out for the rest of the season, and that's proven to be the case. And last but not least, Carlos Sanchez, <laughs> who you quite frankly can't rely on, as we saw against West Brom on Saturday. But you know, if it might, it might uh, better late than never, and. If he comes straight in and forms a good partnership with Rice and helps us move up the league, then, you know, fair play. Yeah, and and I think uh, a better question, I think a question better than why didn't we get this player in in the summer? Because like you'd said, uh, you know, Carlos Sanchez was looked at as a last, you know, last ditch option. Wilshire was fit and although he's, you know, you can't rely on that. He was working, so it would be tough to bring in another player maybe uh, of Suchak's quality. If he looked and saw, okay, I have Mark Noble, Declan Rice, and Jack Wilshire all playing and vying for the same position as me, you know, maybe it's not as clean of a clean of a pickup there. But also, we had a director of football and who clearly didn't identify him. This probably seems like one of the agents that Sullivan works with, uh, who who brought the player to the forefront here. Um, so I guess maybe the better question would be, why wasn't this deal pursued? on January 1st or worked on in December and brought in on January 1st. We were still in a terrible position in the 1st of January. We were in the bottom part of the table. Uh, we were looking for wins. We got that win against Bournemouth, which is proving to be really, uh, really important for us because as the as the table stands right now, we're in the relegation zone or just above it on goal differential, but equal on points to Bournemouth. That's a, that's a six-point game, essentially, the win we had against Bournemouth. So why were we not getting in this player to support the team then? When Wilshire was injured, Carlos Sanchez, we all know he can't play football at this level anymore. Uh, and, and Mark Noble, as he even said, is 33 years old and and you know can't be relied on week after week by this team. So, you know, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of good questions and hard questions that have to be answered. But as long as the club are committed to buying players right now, that's all we need because we're too short at right back. We're too short. We st- we're still too short at center mid. We, we still need another attacker, and I would like to see the, the club pick up somebody who can play the left wing and, and see if they can, you know, challenge Felipe Anderson in a more forward role because it looks like Pablo Fornells is either going to be a left mid or a central attacking mid. 
Um, but there, there's still work to be done. Uh, all signs point to Suchek getting over the line. Are you happy with the signing now that you've looked into him and, and probably watched a couple videos and, and you know read up on, on some scouting reports on him? Yeah, for sure. From what I hear, it's all, it's all positive regarding Suchek. Obviously, it's a big step up from the uh, Czech League, but... You know, you've got to start somewhere, and I um, believe I'm right in saying he won the Czech League's Player of the Year last year. I will take your word for that, but that's certainly a positive, yeah. May have, I think I saw that. Uh, don't uh, have a go at me if I'm wrong, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, we need bodies in the middle, like you say. Noble can't play every week. Like he, he admitted that himself, basically, after the West Brom game. And we just need quality in the centre, not not just numbers, but actual quality. And he sounds like he's got something about him. I mean, to the for the amount of goals he scores, considering you know we he is a deeper lion midfielder, that's a positive. He seems like he can cover the defence, but can also drive forward when he needs to, which is exactly the type of midfielder we need because we need that kind of balance. Well. Uh, Rice, you know, can have a bit more insurance uh, as right now he's kind of covering all bases in midfield on his own. Yeah, and I think what what I mean, we can we can transition out of this in a second. I think you know we saw against West Brom, Rice was taking shots from 25, 20, 30 yards out to try and get yeah, some sort yeah. of offense going. That's not what he should be doing, right? No, you'd prefer him not. To. I mean, I, I don't mind him taking shots now and again but you know it's, it's obviously not his primary roles and and with with a jetty holler and antonio on you'd think that there'd be better options than that which again we can come to that in a minute um but yeah i think you're completely completely right to say rice has been asked to do probably too much uh and i don't know have you noticed it I, I've, I've picked up on it rice is throwing his hands up in the air a lot uh yeah. when he's playing now and i think it's just out of frustration that if it's Carlos Sanchez beside him, he doesn't know what he's going to do. Uh, usually it's the wrong thing. And if it's Mark Noble, he's either not beside him or it's more of a lateral pass that he's forced into because Noble isn't as attacking-minded as you know someone like Suchek promises to be. I was blown away when I looked at Suchek's goal numbers. I thought, I was like, defense, people are saying defensive midfielder. He's got like eight goals this season. I think he had 18 goals last year or 12 goals, 12 goals and nine assists last year, I think. Something crazy like that. So, you know, it's an exciting prospect to say the least, um, but I, I don't think it's a, a one and done. Uh, are you of the same mindset? Yeah, obviously we've got to remain on the side of caution with it, but it'll be very interesting to see how he does play because, like you say, he is deeper, you know, in position, but with that amount of goals... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what positions he takes up. Like apparently, I heard. Well, I saw on Twitter a thread, and he likes deep runs into the box, and he's also a threat on set piece as well because uh, of his height. So I guess that's that's how he gets the the main source of his goals. Those two ways, but yeah, it'll just be interesting not to see Noble plodding along every game, or you know Sanchez doing what he does 
Yeah, and you know what? That that's a good point of bringing up how he scores his goals because I uh, I did the same thing. I I kind of did some research when I saw that he scores goals, uh, and I thought, okay, maybe it's like a Granite Xhaka type player or uh, you know Nemanja Matic, where there's those long kind of laser beam shots from outside the box that the more defensive minded players tend to get a hold of when you think of goal scoring from that position. And then all of these highlight packs are showing him being the third or fourth man into the box in finding a short cross or making a, a really solid overlapping run that gets picked up uh, by by the wide players. And as you mentioned, on set pieces, he tends to... I also saw a scouting report from somebody who had watched him and basically said, well, he's not the most naturally gifted runner. He, he runs nonstop and he gets himself in really strong... in really good positions, rather. Uh, so you'll see him drift. He, he runs down the middle and then he'll drift out wide. And instead of just sitting there and stopping his momentum... When he drifts, he, he he creates space, and you know you find these second chances and second opportunities that pop up, and you know it's worked out for him. So hopefully he can bring more of that. And I think with Alaire being a, a striker who likes to go out wide sometimes or stop short and help in the build-up play sometimes, uh, it'll be good to have some extra bodies in the box. No? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it was countless times on Saturday where. There was balls into the box or passes into the box, and just no one was there to receive. On well, as yet he was, but he's not got the height to. Because West Brom's defenders, they were all there. You know, they were pretty big, and uh, as yet he didn't have the height or physicality to compete with them really. And I was just dying for Haller to just stay in the box, but he kept coming out wide, kept dropping off into positions, and. I feel like a couple of those crosses, if he was on the end of them, they may well have ended up in a goal. So yeah. six foot four is nothing to joke about. No, for sure. So hopefully we'll have those extra numbers in the box and we'll see the benefits of it. It also may help. Uh, Noble's never been a defensive midfielder, and having Suchek, who is, but also notably gets forward, may help in the setup of the team. Rice knows. Okay, I'll stay back. I'll play that that one defensive midfielder position and I'll let him go forward, but he'll also track back afterwards. And, and like I had mentioned from that uh, from that supporter who had mentioned uh, how Suchek plays, um, he runs apparently nonstop for 90 minutes. So that's something we've been missing as well. Um, okay, I think that was a solid wrap-up. I think we're both fairly positive on this, but also believe there's there needs to be more work to be done. I believe the, the player from Sampdoria, uh, Vieira, is still being looked at as a possible midfield option. Uh, and another player is uh, from Caligari, uh, forty million dollar, forty million euro um, loan to buy option on that Uruguayan player. So it'll be lots of work to be done. There's also been a rumor that West Ham are looking to sign upwards of four or five more players by Friday. So nothing like leaving it late, but I'll take late, better late than never, basically in this instance here. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about that West Brom game. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. All right, so West Ham have been bounced from the FA Cup at the hands of Slavin Bilic and Julian Dix. Uh, Lou, do you, were you surprised when it comes to West Ham losing out in, this, uh, in the FA Cup game? A, a, a tournament David Moyes was aiming to win, in his own words. Yeah, I don't think anyone could be surprised with us going out to lower league opposition. Really, it happens, you know, pretty much every year. So, 
Yeah, but it was just, it was the manner of the defeat that was uh, I think most concerning for well, it was for me. I'm not sure about everyone else. It, our first shot on target was the 87th minute, I think, and that was a long shot from uh, Rice from outside the box. So, and you know they had ten men for I'm not sure how long. 26 it was, minutes, I believe. 26 minutes. And we didn't really create anything clear-cut until the end when Noble had that opportunity uh, in the box. But, uh, yeah, I think Noble's reaction after that shot just was the same as every fan's in the, in the stadium. He just lied down. And I was, I was urging him for him to get back up, actually, because there was still a minute left. But he was just lying down. And it was almost like he, he knew that was the chance when you know, you- to force a replay. When, speaking of Noble, when we went into this game, Noble was not starting. Carlos Sanchez was. Angelo Agbana was not spart- starting. Fabian Balbuena was. And uh, Mikel Antonio wasn't starting. Uh, in that instance, it was Albion Ajedi who got the start finally, as many, including myself, were calling for. Uh, I think that was by design. I think Antonio, they didn't want to rush him back, so if they could give him extra time off, it would be ideal. Uh, and Mark Noble, again, he's 33, right? Like, he, he needs to be rested more so now than ever especially when the team has you know uphill battle coming in in the form of relegation in the league so you know he's another another player who needed to be rested angelo ogbana picked up a knock in that game and uh the previous match rather uh before west brom against leicester city he i think he got taken out in a tackle and landed awkwardly on his back when he was in the air and he looked like he needed some time off and again he's been he's been an incredible defender for, for the hammers this season hammer of the year i think uh, pretty unanimously at the time uh so those are your senior players you want to rest those players like, like we said antonio has an injury history you want to give him as much time off as you can and instead against west brom west ham needed to pull these players off the bench and it just seems a little bit predictably i don't know like predictable it's like a predictable parachute like things go bad uh get the leader on uh get the fast player on uh get the best defender on like we can't even play lower opposition in a cup properly because the squad's just too thin yeah well the worrying thing is west brom made more changes than we did (laughs) (laughs) so we were probably playing a stronger team in you know relativity to what they were so why we needed to be in that situation it's all uh, beggars belief the first half was just absolutely atrocious oh. uh, I mean it was only right that Sanchez and Barbarina were taken off to be honest I mean I said to my dad who was sitting next to me before at the start of the match that I was I was saying why does Balbuena just hoof it at every opportunity and throughout the half answered my question Balbuena answered my question because he mishit pretty much every single pass that he attempted to make and gifted, you know, West Brom a counter-attack every single time. And it was just such a woeful performance. And Carlos Sanchez just looked absolutely lost in the middle of the park. I mean, he might get away from time to time with playing in a three, but playing in a two like he, like he did so the other day, it was, it was, it was quite literally like playing... You know, with with less men than the opposition. Was, so, sorry, go continue on there. So yeah, the the changes at halftime were pretty much enforced and needed to be done. Sadly, 
but you know, even with those changes, we still couldn't find an equaliser. Sadly, and you know, an FA Cup dream for another year is dead. Yeah, and again, David Moyes said, "Oh, I think we can win this," and you know, you love that optimism, but. I mean, he just he wasn't given the support he needed. Like he, there should have, for a team that wants to push on after firing their manager and having an atrocious two month period of play, you want to, you know, get started on the right foot. Moyes lived and the players lived up to it against against Bournemouth, and you want them to push on from that. And instead, you have you know some stalling and and you know eventually. Uh, you know, busting out of the FA Cup. Uh, Carlos Sanchez being replaced was an absolute no-brainer. Uh, I gave him a zero on the player grades at a ten because I don't think he did one thing positive. Uh, and he actually, I, I, I justified it in saying he actually did more negative than positive because he gave the ball away in the midfield constantly. So I gave him a zero. Uh, Fabian Balbuena, I gave a one or two because I he made a deflection or sorry, a ball hit him and went wide of the net. He Standards. Yeah, he, he was he was basically in the right place at the right time, and that's all the credit you can give him. Uh, but Pablo Fornals coming off was a a bit, I don't know. I, I the issue I'm having with Pablo Fornals coming off is that Manuel Lanzini was just as bad or worse than Fornals in the first half, and David Moyes I think has is showing too much loyalty to a player who helped him succeed last time he was at West Ham. Uh, and he's giving Lanzini all the opportunities in the world to be that player again. Do, do you think there's a, a bit of favoritism going on there? Yeah, I don't think there can be really any other way of thinking about it because Lanzini at the minute is, well, just quite frankly doesn't deserve in the, to be in the team, whereas Fanal's, you know, like you say, he wasn't great in the first half, but quite literally no one was. And, you know, Lanzini was just as bad, if not worse, and... You know, continued that in the second half where he continued to have no effect. Whereas at least with Fernals, you could, you know, you know he would keep on trying and persevering, you know, to create something to get in the box to score a goal and just put that hard work and effort in that he's, he's shown us over his short West Ham career so far. So I don't know why he chose to take Fernals off instead of Lanzini. Apart from, like you say, favouritism, um, I think, you know, if he wants us to improve in the, you know, the near future, starting with tomorrow and the Brighton game, then he needs to make decisions that he doesn't necessarily want to, but he needs to do it for the greater good of the team, starting with Fernals, uh, you know, being ahead of Lanzini in the pecking order. Yeah, I completely agree. He needs to. He needs to you know, make decisions that, as you said, are, are better for the team. But also, you know, it can't we can't work off of history. You can't work off of who players were or what they previously did. Who's going to get you the result? Because we need points. And, you know, we legitimately, we need, looking at the upcoming matches for West Ham, uh, we need points from teams like Liverpool, from teams like Man City, from teams like Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea. We need to find a way to, to get a to get a crazy win, to get a you know a shocking result, a, a, a draw here or there, because it's going to be the unexpected points that are the ones that eventually save us. To, to end the season, West Ham do have a, a solid stretch of Newcastle, who are not. I mean, these these are not walkover teams, but they're not top six teams either. Um, 
with the exception of Manchester United, but Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, uh, Manchester United, and Aston Villa to end the season. Aston Villa, as we're talking, just went through or just got through to the uh, League Cup final after beating Leicester, the last-minute goal by Trezeguet, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but, um, you know, they're going to have different priorities and whatnot, but that's still a success for Aston Villa. They're not safe by any means either as far as the table is concerned, but West Ham, like I said, are going to have to try and get some scrappy points out of teams that are really, really elite-level talent. Uh, and, you know, that comes down to player selection a lot of times because it, it got to a point with, with Manuel Pellegrini where the team was released an hour before the match, and you're going, what is he thinking? Same formation, most likely the same tactics, same players, and, and you just you just wonder what exactly, you know, the, the positive is a, a, of that setup. But let, let's let's... Let's try and be positive here. West Ham hopefully have some players coming in, and hopefully we we see um, we see the likes of uh, Thomas Suchek step right into the eleven, probably for the Brighton match. Realistically, um, as they play tomorrow in Liverpool, or so Liverpool and West Ham play tomorrow, and he'll probably be announced tomorrow. So ho- hopefully for the Brighton match on Saturday, he's the player that that steps in and um, can can really make a difference right away. Uh, any final thoughts on the on the FA Cup loss to West Brom? Was there any silver lining to it at all? Do you think? No, none at all whatsoever. No, I, I completely agree. There's nothing positive we we can try and spin out of it. Um, okay, we'll take a, another small little break here, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the next two matches West Ham has coming up. As mentioned, the future league winners, Liverpool, are coming uh, to the London Stadium. Uh, you could be listening to this and it could already be over, so we're not going to really dwell on this match too much. Um, Lou, the biggest piece of news coming into this match is Sadio Mane's out, and uh, you and a lot, a lot of other people are saying, oh, they're only going to win by five goals now. Uh, do you fancy any sort of result for West Ham here? Do you think there could be enough of a kick in the ass from the West Brom loss that gets them to inspire some sort of performance? Uh some sort of performance. Uh, I'm not discounting a very terrible performance, if that counts. Uh, I think I predicted. Uh, I don't think it's out. Jeremiah put them out here, but I think I predicted a four-nil loss, Oof. Um, which is probably realistic. I, I know Liverpool haven't really blown that many teams away this season, but I don't think they'll get an easier fixture. For the remainder of the season, really, we just look like we have no fight at the minute. We look devoid of ideas. We're not really creating that many chances, and I think they'll bypass our midfield, you know, quite comfortably. And then they're in on our defence, who, you know, couldn't even handle West Brom. So what chance have they got against likes of Firmino and Salah, you know, with the form they're in this season? I think that's fair. My prediction was 3-1 to Liverpool. Um, I, I got crazy and said we'd score a goal. But uh, I think uh, I think Mikel Antonio has a pretty good goals-to-game ratio. Same with uh, Manuel Lanzini when it comes to playing Liverpool. So hopefully there's something there we can at least get on the scoreboard. Um, but Jay wrote a really good article for West Ham. And it's sim- it was a simple premise, but I think it needed to be said. And it was basically West Ham don't need 
that's well they technically they do need to win games but they don't need to win games against liverpool or this match against liverpool specifically we want to see west ham be tough to break down stick to a game plan and fight for 90 minutes when it comes to this match i think this could be a good pushing off point and you know we always want the best for the team but if a loss is going to happen uh, don't let it be a pushover loss. Don't let it be one where the fans leave saying, you know, no one tried because that's what it felt like after the West Brom match. Show up, put in a shift, play for 90 minutes, earn your money this week, and, and you know, try and maybe push on and, and force a silver lining out of the match. Is there anything to that? Is there any way to lose effectively? Yeah, I, I agree completely with that on those sentiments. This game's kind of, with it being a game in hand, it is kind of like a free hit. So everyone's expecting a loss. So apart from our goal difference, nothing, you know, goes down otherwise because no one else is playing. But if we can put in a performance where we can see the, you know, players fighting for every single ball, defending well, defending as a team, whilst also, you know, attacking as a team at times, uh, I think most people will be pleasantly surprised, uh, least of all me. Um uh, you know, with that kind of performance. Um, and it will be much needed going into the more important Brighton game of the weekend as we really need to get three points in that fixture. Draw's not good enough. Uh, you know, we dropped two points at home to Everton a couple of weeks ago when we should have won. So we really needed, we need to be taking, you know, the maximum points against Brighton and, a, you know, a good solid uh, performance at home to Liverpool tomorrow night could, you know, be the little boost that not just the players need, that the fans need as well. Heading into that, you know, six pointer at the weekend against Brighton. Yeah, I, I really agree with that as well. And it's a home match you mentioned as well. The Brighton matches, so you know we have a we can go on a bit of a run here. Throw away the West Brom game; that's done. That's over with. Focus on the league now. There's no cups. There's nothing that's going to distract this team and force extra matches on them to to wear away at their healthy, uh, you know, at their fitness. But let's just try and focus on building momentum at home, and that's a good start there. I think, like you mentioned, a couple things to note as we mentioned, Sadio Mane is out. Uh, it also looks like Nabi Kaida will be back. The Liverpool. Uh, social media accounts have been showing him a little bit this week, so um, they may choose to rest the likes of uh, Wijnaldum or Henderson. I could see Oxlade-Chamberlain staying in the lineup in the midfield. Maybe Fabinho comes on, uh, but you know, there's also the likelihood that Joel Matip could come back in, who just recently returned from injury. So maybe West Ham get the B team because Liverpool have you know some some. You know, matches coming up. But we, they play us tomorrow, then they play on Saturday, they play in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury again, uh, and then they're into February uh, after that. But they've played so many matches when it comes to the Club World Cup, Champions League earlier uh, earlier this season. You know, they've been stressed a lot. So let's, let's pray and hope that maybe we see a couple, you know, different players come into the match, not have as much uh, chemistry. I know uh, Salah will probably be in there. We'll see maybe Divock Origi as well, starting at striker, which, you know, he's a lot more difficult to play against than uh, Firmino when it comes to physicality, where Firmino is more skill-based and, and, you know, more in the link-up play with his wide players. But Minamino also will probably get the start at left wing. So you never know exactly what the effectiveness of a new or of a unit adding new pieces in is how, how that's going to work out for them. So you know, th- there's opportunity here. I'm not, you know, going to talk myself into into a West Ham win, but I, I don't think 
I think if West Ham play how they played against uh, Everton and how they played against Bournemouth, we will see something a little bit different. Uh, and basically, to do that, they have to stay strong defensively and press on their players constantly. It's a home match. You'll have the crowd behind you. Push on those players as hard as you can, as quickly as you can. Close them down and try and force some mistakes. Uh, you never know what can happen, right? Especially when you have some speed like potentially Mikel Antonio. Uh, Lou, who do you think is going to be starting in this match for West Ham? Uh, better better question. Uh, keepers. I assume they'll probably go one and one with Fabianski and Randolph today and on Saturday. Which one do you start Fabianski in? Uh, Brighton for sure. I mean, completely agree. Like, like you say, well, Fabianski's only been in training for a couple of days, so and we've been saying Liverpool kind of is like just an extra game tomorrow, so it doesn't matter as much as the Brighton game. And you know, if Brighton get any chances on Saturday, we need them to be saved, and that's what Fabianski does best. So I'd leave him out for tomorrow. Play Randolph, who is capable of putting. You know, in a good performance uh, on his day, and you know, have Fabianski play from there on in. I thought Randolph played well against West Brom too. He had a really, really uh, great save in Leicester in the Leicester match as well. He dove to his left and tipped it right over the bar. So yeah, we can't really complain about anything uh, Randolph has done so far since he's returned. Not at all. Um, question for you then: uh, It's going to come down to uh, most likely. For West Ham, who starts at striker against Liverpool? Uh, I would almost be tempted to play Mikel Antonio on the weekend and not give him two matches in four days and almost almost midweek rest him for this one. I know, like we mentioned, he 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 has the counterattacking speed that could steal you a goal. Just so, feel like he is the only one in the team at the minute who has the potential to hurt Liverpool. Yeah, you know like he did do in the same fixture last season. But I know what you're saying about resting him for the weekend because we we need him for that game uh, probably more so. <clears throat> what do you think? Are you, do you have an answer? Um, I'd, I'd love it if he could play both games, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, after returning from injury, it's probably not worth the risk. So, you know, if we have him on the bench and hopefully we're still in the game somewhat, by the second half, and if he can come on and make an impact, then that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, I would almost settle for him as a second half sub in both matches rather than sit him for one. I think you can you can maybe get away with starting Lanzini or Jetty as the second striker against Brighton, and uh, and potentially potentially have him as a super sub come in to just you know run at those tired defenders uh we also saw against west brom you know, west ham attacking center backs and attacking uh, counter-attacking with speed forcing the center back into taking a second yellow card so you never know things like that could happen as well so antonio has has difference making pace so that, that could potentially factor in uh okay that's good on, on liverpool there's not much else we can really say or break down on it but brighton is the real the real important one i think uh it's a six-point game, as you mentioned. Are West Ham better than Brighton when it comes to on paper, at least? Uh, I don't think we've beaten them since they've got promoted, have we? So, uh, and they're above us in the league, so it would be pretty hard to argue that we are better than. Uh, on paper, 
at the start of the season he would I apologize oh, it's the extra the extra uh, guest host here yeah. I, think she, I think she's just saying hello well oh. she, she's fired up about the Brighton match clearly it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a make or break match for the hammers so there we go she's about West Ham's current predicament oh she's not um, alone what was it? I don't know what I was saying then though what was I talking no we aren't better than Brighton but uh, at the start of the season if you said on paper I think most people would have certainly gone with yes but we're over halfway into the season now and we've we've not got the results uh, to show for it really so no something I think that's important to look at too with Brighton I think on paper we're a better team than them there's players you'd like uh, to, to take from them specifically you know Aaron Moy Lewis Dunk yeah, Shane sure. Duffy Trossard I think is a great player uh, Neil Maupe someone we were linked with we were linked with Maupe at the start of the season weren't we but this team yeah. lost 3-1 to Bournemouth on uh, on the 21st of January so just a week ago they lost 3-1 to a team that we made look like they were a league one side uh, at the start of the month and I know a lot can change but uh, they started Dominic Solanke again. Ryan Fraser factored into this one, but uh, and Harry Wilson was back. Um, so it's just it's so everything's so unpredictable. That's why it's what makes the Premier League the best league in the world. In a lot of people's opinions, is is how any team any week can win a match. And I mean Brighton and Bournemouth isn't necessarily your highlight real match, but there's good players on either side, and and you know they're both well structured teams. Uh, I think Graham Potter's done an awesome job with Brighton as well. So uh, there's a lot to be envious of with them and how they play, maybe their style of play as well. But yeah. uh, we should win this game, and there, you know there should be enough of a fire lit underneath West Ham's asses that that motivates them to at least something here. Yeah, I mean that would just show and sum up the unpredictability of the Premier League if. It was kind of like a triangular situation where we beat Bournemouth, Bournemouth beat Brighton, Brighton beat us, all in the space of one month. Yeah. Uh, but we, like you say, we sh- should have enough quality to beat them. But in terms of structure and, you know, motivation, because he seems like uh, quite a good man manager as well, by what I hear. Uh, I think they usurp us at the minute in terms of that. And I just hope they turn up the same way they did at, uh, at Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago. So we we kind of don't have to, you know, obviously I want us to see us go all out and win it and put an amazing performance. But even if we could get a scrappy win, you know, that would be more, prob- probably more meaningful than any kind of performance at this stage. We just have to hope that Glenn Murray doesn't factor into this game at all. Him and his, uh, him, he's just a hammer's killer. So I, I don't even want to think about that. But uh, you know, the, the saying usually goes three points is three points. And as you were saying, a great performance or a scrappy one, either one would do for West Ham. It, you know, but in this instance, even more so, three points is six points because from the tenth in the table, which is Arsenal, to fourteenth, which is Newcastle. Those teams are all on 30 points this season. Uh, and there's a bit of a drop-off to Brighton, who is at 25 points in the 15th spot. And West Ham are two points behind them. So if, yeah, if so we go above them, we win. We would, yeah, we would go above them. We would go above Aston Villa as well, you know, pending their game. But 
it would be so massive to, you know, get a strong performance and actually push ourselves past people in the table and, you know, take our own will in our hands rather than going, oh, no, Norwich, Norwich City won or, you know, Watford picked up another another couple points. So That will give us a big psychological boost just to see us, you know, stop lingering just above the relegation zone. If we could just move up just a couple of places, it would give us a psychological boost because it just looks a lot easier on the eye. Absolutely. And these players, I mean, you you see it on their Instagram stories and Twitter and everything. When they're not playing football or training, a lot of times they're watching other games, like you know, whether it's Champions League or Manuel Lanzini. I don't know. People seem to have an issue with him supporting River Plate, uh, his former team that he grew up playing for. Um, I have no issue with that. And, and you know, when you, when you watch other teams, you know, the tables pop up, uh, point differential, relegation battle, who's going to win the league. You're const- they're constantly inundated with seeing this, and it's got to be embarrassing and, you know, like you said, have a, take a mental toll on them a little bit to see West Ham, our, our level on with the 18th place team. Uh, you know, they're, they're minus 11 on goal differential. You want to take that step up, even if it is, you know, just a couple places in the table, just to ease your mind a little bit. Well, that's up to them, isn't it? I mean, they're the ones on the pitch at the end of the day. All we uh, can do is complain on Twitter. That's it. Exactly. That's all we're capable of. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, I guess it comes down to prediction time here. Do you think West Ham have it in them to to take a win in that game? Yeah, but I think think looking at it head-on and realistically, I think we'll probably get a draw again. Hmm. Sadly, it, like you say, it dep- it's hard to predict without getting past the Liverpool game first. Because, like, like we discussed, if we do put in a really good performance, that inspires a lot of confidence, and I could well change my prediction. But if we succumb to a four-nil loss, like I predicted, and we get battered, and even more confidence drains from the squad, it's hard to see us turning up and winning just three days later. Yeah, I, I I agree, and also it, it'd be so West Ham to, in a game that everyone in the world, including majority of West Ham supporters, are factoring West Ham to lose in against Liverpool to pick up a massive injury to an important player like an Antonio or like a Declan Rice or something like that, where it would be pivotal for the rest of the season in a game where they had slim to little chance of getting a result is just so typical West Ham. So you can't really. It's hard to, to make a legitimate prediction before getting through that Liverpool game, but I I think they'll get a win. Um, West Ham have been liable to look past opponents in the past. I think this is the one occasion where you almost want them to look past Liverpool. Be loose for it. Don't have high expectations. Go in there, play your heart out, put in a good shift like we had said, and do everything you can to win, but, you know, realistically, and this is the, this is the, the realism of relegation battle, the Brighton match is a thousand times more important than the, this Liverpool match is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's sad that we're even in this situation where we're discussing basic, not throwing a game, but, you know, taking it Just easy. not caring, yeah. Yeah, well, I care, obviously, but we just care about the Brighton game more as it will ultimately have more of an effect on the uh, table at the end, end of the season. I mean, Wolves played uh, Liverpool uh, last week and they're in a position where they can focus primarily primarily on that fixture and they put in 
probably the best performance any side's put in against Liverpool this season and they almost came away with a draw bar <laughs> uh, a late goal you know a late Liverpool goal as they've done so often this season and you know it's I'm just jealous of teams like Wolves and Leicester who can do that and they've been managed the right way this season they've played the right way and that is where we set our sights to be at the start of the season but sadly it's just they're not turned out that way and here we are now focusing on a game on Saturday instead of the one that we should be looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, I think if you had started the season and said which which game would you care about more, it would probably be the primetime Liverpool match and we'd be a little bit embarrassed to say the Brighton match because we need to take three points in it. But again, here we are. And yet again, another episode of the Green Street Hammers podcast ends with us in a depressive downward spiral. Uh, but Lou, thanks for hanging out and chatting. A, a rare two-man crew of you and I in this one, but I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we'll get through the Liverpool match without any injuries and push on to that Brighton game. Any final thoughts as we head into uh, a quick succession of two games in uh, a matter of a few days here? Um, no, just try and enjoy enjoy the ride, really. We've, we've got a little bit of a mini roller coaster coming up, and uh, I, I hope the players on the pitch start to care as much as as the fans do and we can push up the league. I would be all on board with that as well. And also... Let's bring back Jordan Hugel. The man scored today. Don't spend the money on a striker. Get some better defenders and get Hugel back. He needs to walk out to all the bubbles. We need to get the man back where he belongs with his secret agent, David Moyes, who bought him in the first place. Next time we talk, that could be a reality. Until then, come on, you Thanks for listening, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.